podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to this uh, a penultimate World Cup podcast here on Anfield Index and uh, with just one game now separating France or Croatia from World Cup glory we'll take a look at the route the teams have taken to the final, what they've proven along the way and just how we expect Sunday's game to unfold. So joining me on today's pod I'm delighted to welcome back PSG, Ligue 1 and France correspondent of ESPN FC, Jonathan Johnson and later on we'll also be joined by AI regular and host of the Academy pod Guy Drinkle to discuss our highlights from the tournament as a whole and England's run in Russia. That's obviously now come to a, come to an end. Football is going to have to wait before it, uh, it it comes home. But Jonathan, welcome. Hey there, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, great to speak to you again. Obviously, last time we we did speak, it was prior to the Uruguay game, of course, and um, yeah, pretty physical encounter there with sort of uncharacteristic mistakes. I I suppose you could say from a typical Uruguay game deciding the match in the in the end, um, although I thought France did actually do enough to win it a bit more comfortably than they did in the end. Um, we previously discussed as well, I think, how France um, had started the tournament seemingly solid, but you know, perhaps un- unspectacular as Deschamps worked to identify his best 11. Seems to have done that, especially since that Argentina win. Um, I just wanted your immediate thoughts now on, on how that Uruguay game turned out, and then, of course, turning to the... Uh, the defeat, um, uh, sorry, the win over Belgium, of course, and, and what you made of those games. Uh, yeah, they were both very interesting. I think the, the the thing that was most pleasing from a French perspective uh, looking at that Uruguay match was how professional, uh, how efficient uh, Les Bleus were in, uh, in, in disposing of Uruguay. Uh, there were a few key moments in that match. They took the chance when it came, obviously. I mean, who'd have thought that Uruguay would come undone um, via one oh, yeah. set-piece goal. Uh, you know, I think that was a big surprise. Lovely header by Varane, uh, superb uh, lofted ball in from Griezmann. Uh, and then obviously the the mistake from uh, from Muslera, who'd been so reliable for, for the rest of the tournament that helped, uh, helped France get that one over the line. But I think one of the real key moments there as well was also um, Hugo Lloris's save uh, to deny Cassides just yeah. after France had taken the lead. So, uh, you know, the French took their opportunities when they came and were very solid otherwise. Uh, but I think what both of those victories had in common, both Uruguay and Belgium, uh, was the, the superb defensive effort that the, that the French put in. I mean, I thought Varane was already impressive enough, uh, against Uruguay, but then he took it up a level, uh, against Belgium. You know, was, to me, it was, it really, there were really shades of, Fabio Cannavaro 2006 uh, from Varane in that in that game against the Belgians. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Umtiti obviously getting the getting the goal also played well, just perhaps not quite as well uh, as 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 Varane on the on the, on the night. But you know the French seem to have addressed those defensive frailties from the Argentina match in the last 16, uh, and I think that's one of the the key reasons they were able to uh, dispose of Uruguay so comfortably. Uh, and also edge uh, edge Belgium to to reach this final. Yeah, for sure. I think you mentioned those saves, and um, I thought sort of the outstanding goalkeeping was also a theme of that um, that match against Belgium. Where I, I noticed both Lloris and um, and Courtois made a, n- a number of really really big saves to keep their teams 
um, in it, and obviously to keep France ahead. Um, Lloris obviously had diff- uh, sort of a difficult season in, in the way that sort of the the consistency we normally associate with him, perhaps. Um, obviously, you know, his role and having to do the sweeping that he does at times does lead him to you know, being exposed or, or, or being out in those sort of dangerous positions. But he did, did, ha- did have sort of an unsteady Premier League season, I thought, for himself, um, just, just by his high standards. He seems to have really risen to the occasion this tournament, so despite all that coming beforehand. Um, what have you made of his performances sort of throughout the tournament for France? Very impressive. You know, I think he's been a really underrated hero in this uh, this French World Cup effort. A lot of people are going to be talking about the likes of Engolo Conte, uh, Varane, who I've already mentioned. Uh, you know, Pavard is one of the emerging stars, obviously. Uh, you know, Mbappe and Griezmann, Pogba as well. Uh, but uh, to, to me, Loris has been just as important because in almost every match, um, Bar, bar the one against Denmark, which he didn't play in, and uh, an Argentina where he conceded three goals, even if he wasn't really able to do much about any of those those three, uh, he's made important saves in pretty much every other game. Uh, avoided, um, you know, uh, a potentially difficult opening to the tournament by making a great save against Australia. Did the same against Peru. Uh, did the same against Uruguay, and then you know once again against Belgium. So he's come up with you know, some real match-winning saves at times. And I, I think that really deserves credit. And what's, uh, I, I think what's most commendable about it as well is Loris came into this tournament under pressure because he wasn't performing, like you said, at club level, but also um, internationally as well. People were questioning his uh, his level of performance. Uh, it's very unlike him to make real bloopers, uh, but there was one in qualifying against Sweden. So, you know, the French were a bit worried that not only was their first choice goalkeeper, but also their captain a bit out of form, wondering whether he should be dropped and, and perhaps replaced by one of Mondonda uh, or Ariola. But Deschamps has, uh, has has stayed loyal to, to Loris and he's been rewarded handsomely because, uh, you know, Loris's performances this World Cup have just been absolutely faultless. Uh, I think he really sat down with himself uh, and, and told himself that he needed to you know, just try and keep things simple, not try to do anything over ambitious, uh, and and just try to, to to clear his mind and do his bit for the team. And yeah, you know, he's he's done that very well so far. And fingers crossed, from a French point of view, that he has another excellent match uh, in the final against Croatia. Because if he does, it, it will have been a very complete uh, World Cup showing from him. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. I think because, of course, Subasic as well for Croatia uh, hasn't exactly had. Um, a, a, a deficiency as or big moments when it's come to his goalkeeping saves throughout the tournament. He's obviously had some big roles to play as well. So it's, it'll be interesting to see again whether the goalkeeper and the goalkeepers are the ones that grab the headlines. But um, you mentioned Umtiti and, and Varane as well. Sort of Varane standing out quite a lot against Belgium in terms of just the level of performance that he put in there. Um, both of them have also scored you know, very important goals during this tournament. Um, what do you make of that partnership then and, and, and their influence within the team? Because you know, despite the fact that Varane's seemingly been around for a long time and TT has been around for longer than we would like to sort of believe, although you know, really Italy moved to, to Barcelona achieving sort of this um, prominence that, whereas everyone knows who he is. Um, this partnership between them, just how uh, important do you think that's been for France? And um, do they have quite a significant influence Within this team, despite sort of their, uh, you know, the fact that they're still quite young, both of them. 
I think one thing that we shouldn't acknowledge when we're talking about central defence is the fact that Umtiti probably wouldn't have started at this tournament had Laurent Koscielny not been injured. Right. Uh, right. So France's defence could have taken on a whole different look going into the into the tournament, certainly for that opener against Australia. Uh, I th- I think that. It's interesting that you say Varane's seemingly been been around for ages because it, you know, that that does feel true. Uh, certainly at international level, he's been a fixture in that uh, in that French side for for quite a while now. Uh, and people were starting to ask, you know, if if this was uh, sort of Varane's sum total of what he was going to contribute to the French team going into this World Cup, but they weren't too convinced that they'd really seen the seen the best of him. But he saved his best form uh, for when it matters. Uh, and and this World Cup, he's been he's been he's been superb pretty much from the from the start. I mean, okay, you could perhaps dig him out slightly for um, Aguero's headed goal at the end of the the win over Argentina. Other than that, I can't really think of a, a mistake that he's made. Uh, Umtiti has been uh, very solid. I mean, you've all, you've got to bear in mind with him. He only burst into the in, into the French starting eleven in Euro 2016. Uh, he, he's sort of been in and out since then, and it's. I I, th- I think it's a good partnership for and for and Mtiti. It's not. It's it's perhaps not quite the the, the most obvious strongest um, central defensive pairing. Uh, I also think that Deschamps has a really good option in uh, Presnel Kimpembe, uh, somebody I, I know from watching yeah. PSG week in week out. Uh, and f- and for me, I think that this 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 central defensive duo has has taken on. Uh, a whole new level of relevance in the in the latter stages of this World Cup with their with their performances, but not not only in defence at the uh, at the other end as well, because this French side are becoming very adept uh, at scoring from set pieces, uh, and those two guys are, are key components in that. Yeah, it seems uh, so. Uh, we, we mentioned that they started perhaps a little bit slowly, but since that four three win against Argentina. Um, it seemed like there was an uh, increased confidence about the way this team is playing. Those two certainly have showed it to me in terms of MTT and Varane um, you know, seeming comfortable with each other, but also um, just the swagger about their general play. I mean, even even including some of those celebrations. I'm, I'm going to remember that MTT one for a while, I think, uh, following that goal. But another player who's been hugely important, in my view anyway, um, uh, is obviously Blaise Matuidi missing for that Uruguay game, c- comes back in for uh, the Belgium game. Um, clearly ran himself into the ground there um, so much. Uh, I'm not sure whether he did pick up an injury or, um, towards the end of that game, but um, uh, you mentioned that him and Kante are probably ones who are going to likely garner a lot of praise following the tournament. Um, but do you think Matuidi had to do... Um, a lot, a lot of work to prove himself to be in in that starting lineup, and, and do you think he'll he'll maintain his his uh, his place for the final now that he's he's put in such performances? Yeah, I mean, I think he I think he will maintain his place uh, for for the final. I mean, the the temptation for Deschamps is to go with youth and one of the first players who who would make way for some of the younger talents is Matuidi. But as Matuidi's shown, uh, Deschamps realised after the Australia game that he can't rely solely on young talent, which is why he went back and called upon. Uh, the likes of Matuidi, the likes of Olivier Giroud, uh, and, and Matuidi. Okay, he's not the most technically gifted of players, but the thing that you can guarantee from him every match is a hundred percent effort. He'll run himself into the ground, uh, and he will be a warrior for you on the pitch. And that's what you know you needed uh, at a World Cup, and that's what France has needed. Uh, that's you know he's he's also surprisingly. 
um, versatile as well. He's capable of playing in a number of positions, normally plays central midfield, but can also be pushed out uh, on the left and, and asked to play at left back as well if, if, if absolutely needed. Uh, and he's sort of playing on the left-hand side of this 4-2-3-1 formation. Uh, and having him there, okay, not, not perhaps the best going forward, but certainly in terms of backing up uh, Lucas Hernandez, the the left back, uh, it it makes that left side for the French so much more solid. It gives them a, a lot of presence there, uh, and I think that the Matuidi's earned his right to to be in the starting eleven. Uh, I don't think that Deschamps was unjustified in trying to go with youth from the start of the the World Cup, considering the talent that he had as available to him. Uh, I just think that perhaps the mistake that he made was not going with youth for the second match against uh, Peru uh, instead of trying to go straight from the off because had he done that, I think the the, the squad would have, or the, the starting 11s would have lo- looked a lot different for the remainder of the, the, the competition. But uh, it's it's taken France all the way to the final and that's why I think we're likely to see uh, Matuidi and Giroud uh, start again against Croatia. There's no there's no reason for, for Deschamps to, to alter his formula at this moment in time. The, the momentum is with France. Uh, and the the experience that that those two guys in particular bring to that starting eleven is, is is irreplaceable at this moment in time. Also on Giroud, I mean, he wasn't somebody who I I, I was going to bring up during the pod actually, but um, lots was made of the fact that you know this no shots on target stat that sort of followed him around um, in the World Cup. Obviously, he hasn't scored yet, but but the function that he's doing for the team. I mean, I, I was about to talk a little bit about how. One of the most impressive parts of the performance I thought against Belgium really was the way in which attackers such as uh, you know Pogba, I mean Pogba, generally more creative, you know, Pogba, Griezmann, and, and Giroud were so disciplined in their defensive duties. Giroud, I guess, not somebody you you associate with um, necessarily putting in that level of work rate, but I, I, I was quite impressed that he did so. Griezmann, uh, sort of molded by that uh, his uh, his his play at, at Atletico Madrid, that he's, he's used to that sort of stuff. Pogba, um, another one who I was sort of watching the game thinking, well, this is a game that would really deeply satisfy Jose Mourinho. And it's quite amusing that it didn't happen under Jose Mourinho. So um, what did you make of the way in which those three are sort of brought into their defensive duties to uh, for this team? And um, just a little point on Giroud, I guess, in terms of you know, not not contributing you know, to the goals, but the influence within the team helping others. I mean, I think one of the funny things about Giroud is um, when you think back to the 1998 France squad, uh, the starting eleven, or you know, the, the the most consistent starting eleven in that tournament featured Stéphane Guivarch of, uh, of 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 Newcastle fame or or infamy rather, uh, and you know he didn't score a sing a single goal at the at the tournament, and it's he, you know Giroud is like. Uh, the, the the modern givache for this for this French side. He mm. does so much physically, uh, and it enables perhaps the more gifted technical players uh, to get a bit more space and and to be involved in the game. I certainly think that it's no coincidence that Griezmann's form picks up when Giroud is uh, is, is a more established member of the starting eleven. Uh, and I I, th- I think what's perhaps most interesting 
about uh, Pogba's rise in in this World Cup is the fact that he he seems I mean he he recognizes and he's known for a long time he's a very talented footballer but he's recognized now more than ever uh, the importance of being uh, more of a leader he's spoken about it a couple of times when he's uh, been up for press conferences with the French national team which in itself is, is quite a rare thing uh, and and shows just how confident he is because he normally avoids that that sort of uh, uh, that, that sort of confrontation with the press. Uh, he's realised that f- in order for him to shine brightest for France and, and to help the team um, to the best of his ability, uh, he needs to be more mature and he's become more of a leader. He's shown greater maturity uh, with each passing match. And I think that, uh, you know, that that has enabled him to become one of the main protagonists of this, this, this French World Cup effort. Uh, and I think that the, with the inclusion of someone like Giroud from the start, uh, it's it's helped Pogba and it's helped Griezmann. It's taken a bit of the pressure off of their shoulders and it's given them a bit more space to to, to play. But I also think in Pogba's case, uh, playing next to N'Golo Conte in midfield makes life so much easier for you and, and enables you to to, to shine. Uh, and and Conte himself is showing just what you know just how rare a player uh, he is and. It wouldn't surprise me if he won the the Player of the Tournament award. Uh, in the same way, it also wouldn't surprise me if Luka Modric won the the Player of the Tournament award. We're talking about two very good midfielders, obviously very different um, players, but uh, you know, two guys who have been in close to their best form in pretty much every game so far in Russia. Uh, but for me, I think that it was a very important change uh, that Deschamps made when he went back on his initial decision to leave out the likes of Matuidi and Giroud um, and to bring them in, Matuidi for the reasons we've already discussed, uh, and Giroud for the fact that it didn't only uh, impact what he was able to bring to the table, but it also impacted uh, Griezmann and Pogba's uh, abilities to influence matches. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was remarkable seeing Pogba sort of uh, in the box defending, competing with Fellaini for those headers, which of course we know Fellaini perhaps not the most um, elegant of players, but incredibly effective that he can be, especially in tournaments such as like this. And he, he has been effective for Belgium. Um, just seeing him back there fighting for for headers. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think as well that's just a reflection of this collective uh, yeah. mentality that, that, that Deschamps has fostered. Uh, you know, there's no sense of ego there. He's, Deschamps has hammered that home uh, and... All of the players in this current squad have, have brought it, have bought into it. I mean, you even got the likes of Griezmann uh, getting back and and chipping in where defensively as well. I mean, the only player you can perhaps criticise in this French side uh, for not helping out more defensively, uh, certainly from the attack, is uh, is is Mbappe. Uh, and I think that when you've got you know sort of nine of your ten outfield players. Yeah, getting back and getting involved defensively, uh, it's obviously going to make things a lot easier for you. And Pogba is one of those who who hasn't shirked his his defensive responsibilities, and that's just a reflection of the of of, of this collective mentality, this 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 belief that the the French squad have that if they do everything together uh, as a unit, then they will succeed ultimately. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it does really shine through. And I, I guess it helps when you have got so many examples on that pitch of players putting in it, that sort of effort, showing that sort of commitment. Kante, I mean, we, we know it's always coming from him. Um, but the likes of Giroud, Pogba, as you mentioned, um, the temptation with Mbappe must just be that, you know, he, when you've got somebody with that talent and that pace, okay, let's leave him up if anybody's going to be out there because he can chase down nearly anything and also turn over, uh, turn 
you know, pretty decent balls into you know, quite dangerous counterattacks. I, I can understand that temptation to keep him um, keep him high and perhaps uh, doing less defensive work. But I, I did see Pogba berating him for sort of making a, a sort of silly choice later in the game. So it's, it's interesting to see how that leadership's developed amongst the team. Um, just a very quick thought before we go into sort of how the French camp are feeling ahead of this final then. Um, what were your thoughts on Belgium then? Because I thought, yeah, interesting sort of approach they brought to the game. Plenty of players who um, had things to prove. I think Lukaku perhaps didn't get the service um, that he was he was hoping for in in that game. But I thought Hazard, especially how he started the game, proved a difficult uh, proposition for the French. Um, and they, they dealt with it very well on, on the whole, despite you know, the fact that it's, it's often very difficult to deal with somebody who can dribble that well. What did you think of, sort of Belgium's approach in that game? And, and do, were they just unlucky in terms of you know, big, big saves by Lloris and you know, a, a game of fine margins? Uh, I think they were unlucky to an extent. Uh, but I also think that one of the big mistakes that was made ahead of this was the uh, the amount of the sheer number of changes and tweaks that that Roberto Martinez made coming into this one. It was uh, it was a little baffling. Uh, I I, th- I think the suspension of Thomas Munier as well was a problem because he's such a fixture for them on the on the right hand side at uh, right wing back. Uh, that seemed to cause Martinez a few uh, difficulties. Um, for me, I, I thought that Azar was impressive, and I'd say that Courtois also was yeah. um, very impressive. They, they, those were the two main guys that stuck out for me. Uh, yes, you know, Belgium could have scored, could have could have forced it to extra time, and, and perhaps beyond. But I think France did just about enough, uh, and, and and were very good in keeping uh, the Bel- the Belgian attack silenced. It would have been nice to have seen uh, Lukaku do more. Uh, sort of from a neutral uh, point of view, but I, I think that France did a good job in silencing him. I, I, Lukaku seems to get a lot of criticism whenever he doesn't score. Sometimes it's justified, but quite often uh, it's it you know it's a little over the top. Uh, and for me, I think it was him being silent uh, in this semi-final was more down to the excellent job that the French defence did uh, on the Belgian attack, as opposed to him not really doing enough. Uh, not pulling his weight. Uh, I'd say that some of the more disappointing performances uh, from a Belgian point of view were sort of in that central, mm. that central area. You know, the spine of the team, the the the, the centre of defence and the centre of midfield. I think they were missing at times, uh, and I was surprised that their marking at set pieces was just not not quite uh, as you'd expect it to be from such a uh, such a physical team with some players who are very good in the air. Uh, I was surprised to see them, you know, eventually lose out to 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 a headed goal from a corner. So it's I I, I think it was a uh, it, it was the right result. France deserved to go through, uh, but I think they deserved to go through because they were uh, better in certain areas and stopped Belgium from playing to their strengths. Uh, and Belgium, as the match went on, Martinez just just kept trying to adapt to France really instead of playing to uh, Belgium's strengths, but. Like I said earlier, I, I do think one of the, the, the biggest issues for them was the, the suspension of Thomas Munier, because when you get to that um, sort of uh, point in the tournament, you, you need your regular starting 11 to be available to you. And when someone uh, of, of that sort of importance, both going forward and in, and in, and in a defensive sense, uh, is missing, uh, it, it creates uh, un, unnecessary problems. And as we saw, Martinez is perhaps not the best coach um, to to have to make decisions when under pressure, uh, and I feel that he he made a couple of errors in his his starting eleven and certainly some of his uh, his mid match decisions. Yeah, f- f- for me, Chadley, um, 
Dembele, I thought, was un- uncharacteristically. I mean, obviously, he was coming back from something, but uncharacteristically um, you know, seemed sloppy on the ball. Although I think you do have to put that down as well, as you're mentioning there, to the quality of the of the work rate that was put in by the French midfield as well. wasn't allowed to settle, wasn't allowed to dribble in the way we usually see him do in uh, in games for Spurs. De Bruyne as well, um, growing increasingly frustrated as the game went on. So it, it was interesting to see how France. Um, sort of had confidence in their own defensive ability to to keep Belgium out, to keep them a bit dispirited, and I think as you mentioned, despite the the odd moment of brilliance from Courtois to keep keep Belgium in it, and and uh, the odd moment of brilliance from Hazard to keep it, things interesting going the other way, it did seem like France were were quite comfortable uh, for the majority. But um, moving on, then I guess, and yeah, one game away from. Uh, from glory for France. Uh, what's the feeling like in the French camp then as they head into this match against Croatia? You know, entering as favourites, I'd say, to the, the quality of the team, the, the way in which they performed throughout the tournament, um, and also the fact that Croatia, of course, um, you're likely to be you know, a bit more fatigued following those three extra time wins that they've gone through. Uh, incredible achievement, but you feel they must have put lots into that. Um, is there extra, extra pressure on them as well, uh, France as well, following that that failure in the Euros? I mean, yeah, I think I think there is a little bit. I I, th- I think at this moment in time, the French are very confident that this is their best chance uh, and is going to be their best chance for a long time to win a World Cup. That things have gone uh, in their favour, that they're going to be fresher, uh, that they're going to be more 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 disciplined, and that this is just the the, the perfect moment for them to strike and to, to and to win this World Cup. Uh, like you said. Croatia going to extra time in all of their matches since getting out of the group stage uh, is a massive bonus. I mean, some of those matches even went to penalties. Uh, and that's when I think that uh, the Subasic is at its most dangerous. I, I, I don't particularly rate him that highly as a goalkeeper in a 90-minute match. But when you get to, to penalties, his, his shot stopping uh, from... Uh, from the penalty spot is, is, is almost second to none, really. So I think that's a worry for France if they were taken to extra time uh, and potentially penalties. But I think France will feel confident that they can get it done in 90 minutes. The, the French public are well and truly behind Le Bleu now. Uh, the, at the beginning of the World Cup, certainly for the group stage games against Australia, uh, against Peru, against Denmark, the, the French weren't really too bothered about it. Yes, they were watching the matches, but nobody was really celebrating the results uh, because it's once it gets to the knockout rounds that it really becomes um, more and more important. And some of the scenes that, you, that no doubt uh, listeners will have seen uh, of the, the Champs-Élysées after the, after the match against uh, Belgium, you know, it's it, it's phenomenal. And if that's just for winning a semi-final and getting to the final, imagine what it's going to be like if they uh, actually beat Croatia this weekend and, uh, and and end up lifting the World Cup trophy. Uh, I I I think that the French sense that this is a great moment for them to pick up a a first World Cup title for this generation and potentially go on to establish a, a dynasty similar to the one that the the Spanish uh, is, is established uh, a few, and which only ended a few years ago. Uh, you know they they have the the young talent and the strength in depth. Uh, in order to establish themselves at the next Euro, but also the World Cup after that, and potentially the Euro after that, uh, you know, it's a scary thought how long French dominance could go on if, uh, if you know, if they continue to, if these players continue to mature at the rate that they're that they're doing. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I don't think people are going to make the same mistake that perhaps some of the English uh, were making ahead of their their semi final against Croatia, 
uh, in thinking <laughs> that this team is uh, you know, short of quality in some in some areas. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think too many English people were looking at Croatia saying that it was going to be easy, but a lot of them played up the the, the, the fatigue. And I think yeah, this, sure. the whole football coming home idea, as fun as it was, as, as an English guy at the end of the day, who was was kind of hoping to see France come up against England in the final. Uh, I you know I think it almost became a bit of a stick that England got beaten by towards the end of the tournament because uh, it, it's almost like teams that England came up against thought that England were just assuming that they were going to go all the way, win the World Cup, no matter who they played against. Whereas I don't think that that, that definitely wasn't the way that, uh, you know, uh, Gareth Southgate and his players were, were viewing the tournament as it unfolded before them. Uh, but I think that the, the, the Croatians in particular sort of took that to heart and used it to motivate themselves against uh, the English and uh, France aren't going to make the the same mistakes. They're they're being very respectful uh, towards the the the, the Croats. Um, I mean, another interesting thing that gets thrown up ahead of this game is you know the the question of revenge. Are the Croats out to to sort of avenge yeah. the the semi final defeat from 1998 when Lilian Turam who. <laughs> He only scored. I think. He, I think he only scored two goals in his international career, and both of them came in a, inside a matter of minutes. Uh, against, both against Croatia to to send France to the World Cup final. So, you know, there's there's a lot of intriguing storylines going into this. But if uh, if if too much was made of Croatia's fatigue going into some of these, uh, going into the quarterfinals, semifinals, uh, I I think it's justified uh, in questioning. You know how long this Croatian team can last, having gone to extra time again against England. Because for me, I was I was watching that uh, that particular aspect towards the end of the ninety minutes, knowing that the the French would absolutely want to come up against uh, a Croatia side that that had gone to extra time in all of their knockout round games, and it was it, to me, to me it was visible. You could see. Uh, that around about the ninety the ninety minute marks, a lot of the the, the Croat players were were very leggy, very weary, uh, and I'm not sure how they're going to be able to hold out over the ninety minutes against a, a French side that is more fresh uh, than they are. Yeah, they also have one fewer days, or I think one less day to recover as well, don't they? So they will. Yeah, yes. but that I mean that's that's also something that's worked against um, France in the past because the in 2016 the turnaround time was ridiculously short uh, in order for France to get ready for that final against Portugal. So I think that they'll feel that it was, um, you know, what goes around comes around. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. I think that's a, that's a fair shout there. I mean, if um, uh, just wrapping up here, just just got a final few things. So you, you mentioned that. Um, you wouldn't expect France to make any um, sort of drastic changes for this final, if any, to be honest, given the way in which the team has sort of um, performed together. Um, you know, people have come back to, uh, to fitness. Um, Matuidi's now available, of course, uh, following that game. Um, would you expect any changes at all, or is it going to be the same, the, the same lineup that uh, Deschamps went with for the Belgium game? Um, uh, do you think there's any 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 need to change to maybe counter a specific uh, Croatian threat, or do you think uh, sticking with what you have is the is the appropriate way to go for this? No, I think that Deschamps will stick with uh, what he has, and I think that's the right decision to 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 make. I think this why why change why change a formula that's not broken? Uh, I think I yeah. think it's. Um, it, it it will be stupid to try and put somebody in now who perhaps hasn't played as 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 often as some of the other guys. Uh, and I mean, the the only guys I think really that you the, the 
you could possibly argue might be included would be um, either Corentin Tolisso, maybe Usman Dembele. And these guys haven't exactly set the world alight when they've been given chances. Um, okay, Nabil Fakir is also in that, uh, in, in that band of players, although I feel that in the time that he's been given, uh, he's actually been more impressive than, uh, than than some of the other guys. But I just don't feel that it's enough for Deschamps to move away from this 4-2-3-1 uh, that's working well and getting results for the French, especially ahead of a match as big as the uh, as the as the final, and I I think it it, it would put an unnecessary chink in the French armour uh, if Deschamps was to make a change uh, so late on. I mean I think they already know that uh, they've got their work cut out with them uh, for them coming up against the likes of uh, Modric, Rakitic, uh, and and I think they'll be looking at I mean, one of, one of the good things for the French is that um, going into it with the same team the the four the four two three one that's worked so well. Uh, against Uruguay uh, and against Belgium in particular, it's it's a similar case with Croatia where they stick to the to the starting eleven uh, wherever possible, and France will have been able to watch these players over the last couple of rounds in the World Cup and, and note some of them who are perhaps not uh, in in their best physical shape. I mean, I'm thinking about Daniel Subasic, for example. I was watching him. During the during during the England match, and he you know he didn't look fit. I mean, okay, he made some uh, some 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 decent saves, but if he was given a bit more work, uh, you know, I think that England could have you know could have scored more than they did on the night, and I think that France will have noted that, uh, and they'll try uh, pinpointing some of these players who have perhaps uh, pick, perhaps picked up knocks uh, during the during the knockout round. So I think Deschamps will go for as much. Uh, cons- consistency as possible uh, and the only thing that could force him to change his his mind there is perhaps a late injury no I, th- I think again that does make sense given how how they performed and how they all now have quite a lot of rhythm together for, leading up to the final um you mentioned the threats there for Croatia to the Rakitic Modric uh, Mandzukic is certainly going to be an, an interesting proposition for the both centre-backs as well so um, just before I get your prediction then for the final I'm, I'm going to try and put you on the spot slightly but in your opinion who's been uh, France's player of the tournament obviously that could all change based on one heroic performance in the final so far you, we've mentioned a number of individuals who uh, have obviously, uh, obviously contributed quite a lot to the team so far um, Mbappe of course is, is somebody who's captured the headlines given his his age and, and some of the performances he's put in. But um, in terms of France's player of the tournament, in terms of importance, who would that be uh, in your opinion? I mean, I think Conte has a very strong case there. Uh, Mbappe, for the reasons that you mentioned also. Uh, Varane as well. But for me, I, I, I can't play up the importance of Hugo Lloris in this form enough. Uh, and I feel that without the saves that he's made in some of the matches, France wouldn't be where they are. Uh, okay, I don't think that necessarily means that he's going to win player of the tournament. I just think that he uh, is... He's he's somebody who's been a really unsung hero until this point, and I don't know, short of maybe maybe saving a penalty in the World Cup final that that decides the match in France's favour. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to get the credit that he necessarily deserves. Uh, I know that people have, have have praised some of his saves in the moment, but I don't think many people have, have sort of connected the dots and realised just how many of those important saves Loris has made in different matches. Uh, and 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 kept these results positive for for France, and you know that that's also given his teammates massive confidence as well because he's he's captain of the team. He's not the most vocal uh, of captains. I personally, I don't particularly believe it's a good decision 
uh, as a coach to go with a, a, a goalkeeper who's captain because it's harder to communicate with everybody else in the team. Uh, but he's done a good job of uh, inspiring his teammates uh, by example uh, and making some of these these great saves because he's really saved his vintage form for this World Cup. So for me, uh, even though I don't think that he's going to win France's Player of the Tournament award, uh, I think that Loris deserves special credit because I believe that if he hadn't been in as good form as he's been in Russia, uh, France wouldn't be at this final. No, I think that's a very fair shout. I think I, I think you you are right in that he's been an unsung hero so much because I think people have highlighted those those eye catching saves, but not perhaps uh, really understood the influence that's had on the team on the defence as well. And as a Liverpool fan, I can uh, you know very easily um, talk about how you know, goalkeeping performances, goalkeeping calmness, really. Um, and, and and consistency can have a huge effect on the team as a whole. So, yeah, I think for Hugo Lloris, um, although he's unlikely to be getting those plaudits, I, I'd agree with you on that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny that you mentioned uh, the the Liverpool angle because mm. coming up against a player like Lovren, and he's somebody that I know from his yeah. time in uh, in France when he was at Lyon. Um, obviously, I know he's playing with, uh, with with Liverpool now, but having seen the way that he's played this tournament, uh, he's 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 a very important player in this this crowd outside and I, I I don't think I'm overstretching it to say that the form that he's shown for Croatia you know is, is arguably some of the best form of his career I know that there's rumors that have started coming out uh, about Bayern Munich being interested in him I think um, the the new Bayern coach Niko Kovac has pointed out how he's having a similar World Cup to, to perhaps uh, Jerome, Jerome Boateng in uh, in 2014 and it's uh, I, I've been really, really impressed um, with him sort of l- looking away from the, the French angle. He's, he's been one of the sort of standout performers of this tournament for me uh, from a defensive point of view. That's very interesting to hear you say that, to be honest, Jonathan, because I think um, as Liverpool fans who've, who've watched him for a number of seasons, you mentioned him uh, in terms of when he was in Ligue 1 as well. And um, I don't think there's ever been any doubt in terms of his ability to be an important, uh, an important figure within the team. He's, he's very vocal, clearly believes in himself quite strongly as well based on some of these quotes that we're seeing as well about him following the games. And um, also in terms of the actual performances on the pitch, we've seen big, big games where he's put in those performances towards the end of the season with Liverpool. He seemed to have a great stretch of consistency as well. It's just the case that they have that throughout this, throughout his time at Liverpool, there's been sort of these, these consistent um, big, big errors that have caused um, you know, either defeats, led to dropping of points. And, you are correct, and we've not seen those for quite a long while now. Whether he's gotten away with a few during the tournament or not, he's made it to the to the World Cup final. Um, and I think you are right; he's an important figure within that team for Croatia. Um, interesting to hear those uh, sort of rumours about Bayern Munich as well. I'm not sure how the fan base would receive that. Really, I think it'd probably be a mixed reception in terms of some some people saying let's cash in right now, let's <laughs> let's give Kovac uh, Lovren, but then of course the the headache of replacing. Uh, defenders seemingly, um, I'm not sure how many we're targeting in the first place, but it does seem to be um, a bit of an issue. But yeah, I definitely want to keep our eyes on. But uh, just before we do wrap up then, Jonathan, um, what would your prediction be for the final? If, if you don't want to give me a scoreline, you could j- just say in terms of how you think the match will, uh, will, will, will turn out. I can see France winning it in 90 minutes, and I'm torn between saying they'll win by a goal or two goals. Um I can see Croatia scoring, so uh, I'll perhaps say that they'll win by one goal. So I'll say a 2-1 France win. Oh, perfect. Anyway, Jonathan, thank you so much. I'm sure we'll, we'll speak again maybe following the final. But, um, yeah, really appreciate the insight there into the French camp and how this team's evolved uh, throughout the tournament to the team it is uh, yeah, 
and, and, and the team that will line up this Sunday. Really appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me on and uh, enjoy the enjoy the final and the third place playoff, obviously. Ah, there you go. Yeah. The final. Yeah, try, try not to mention it, but yeah, no, it, it is there, of course, as well. And um, just after the break, guys, we're going to be speaking to, to Guy Drinkle um, about England's run, of course, throughout the tournament, just how they did, uh, and then just our, our thoughts on the tournament as a, as a whole. Right, so back, guys, and uh, welcome in, Guy Drinkle. Uh, Guy, how you doing? I'm good, Harry. I'm good. How are you? Not bad, not bad. It's been a decent sort of summer of, uh, you know, we've not had to miss out on football the same way we'd ordinarily have to, of course, with the, um, with the World Cup, with England doing better than we perhaps expected, of course. I think perhaps than everybody expected, really. So, um, I guess I'll start there then, Guy. I mean, um, uh, obviously England bowing out to Croatia in the semi-finals. Um, interesting game really in that I thought really the first half England had a, a real chance there to perhaps win the game if they took advantage of the chances that, that they had. Uh, second half and an extra time I thought Croatia dominated and then perhaps quality, um, in the end won out. But, um, uh, in your opinion then, Guy, how should we judge England's performance in this tournament? I mean, given the context of maybe, maybe what we expected from Southgate and, and this limited squad, um, at the start of, of the tournament and then, uh, sort of where we are now. Of course, England's still, still out there in Russia with this, um, sort of meaningless, but also, I guess, sort of meaningful, uh, third place playoff, um, that they're going to play, um, on, on, on the Saturday, um, how do we judge this this run from England based on the the opponents we faced as well? Um, because it's England, I think you have to look at it as a success, don't you? I mean, it's it's the best we've done in any tournament in my lifetime. I mean, I'm mean, two. Well, I was, I was minus four in 1990, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. so <clears throat> I can't count that one. Um, but no, we have to look at it as a success. I mean, people will judge that we've played Tunisia, Panama. Um, Sweden in a quarterfinals probably your dream opponent. Let's be honest, um, but we still had to beat those teams, and the most typical England thing would have been to screw up in it when you got these easy circumstances, easier circumstances. Um, but no, you have to look at the tournament as a whole as a success for England because, as you said, this this squad is not. Um, it was it no it it's gone over everyone's expectations. I mean, it's not the 2006, 2010, I mean, probably best in 2008, and we didn't even make the bloody Euros. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, look at the previous squads when, when Gerard, Rooney, Lampard was, everyone was in the peak. It was literally like that team should be in the semi final at a minimum, and we'd never even got close. Um, <clears throat> but you look at this, you had, well, you had quite an injury hit squad. I mean, Ox was probably going to start. Lallana was probably going to start, regardless of what you think. Southgate seemed to like him, and we've had loads of transition with goalkeepers and stuff like that. So there was no, there was no, I don't want to say optimism, but optimism. But there was no expectations of England getting to a semi final. I know we kind of got lucky with how the draws split up and Germany screwing up and stuff like that. But getting to a World Cup semi final, it's. Uh, well, we, you hear how people bang on about 1990, and now the new generation of fans kind of have this moment. I mean, it's probably not as exciting as 1990, let's be honest, because you don't have the magic of Gaza and stuff like that, but I'm sure people will remember this World Cup pretty damn fondly, and I mean, Gareth Southgate's got, he's already kind of got cult status now, hasn't he, in this country? 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, not having uh, the likes of Paul Gascoigne, but of course we've got Kieran Kieran Trippier, of course, and <laughs> and, and things like that. But no, uh, I think you're right to raise sort of those expectations. Had had been lowered prior to the tournament, um, it is a squad that. Um, I guess maybe, maybe most exposed by that game versus Croatia has <laughs> holes in it. Um, but I think, um, just get, to get your opinion on this, I mean, I think one of the big sort of pluses of this tournament, obviously that whole like, um, you know, football's coming home thing, um, sort of started amongst the idea that you know, it was, it was very sardonic. It was very sarcastic that, you know, like, oh yeah, football's going home. Yeah. As if you know, Gareth Southgate and this squad that's got plenty of holes in it is going to get anywhere. Um, and then of course, in the end, um, this group of, uh, fairly young players, second youngest team in the tournament, of course, um, makes its way to the semi-final. And you mentioned that, of course, um, as uh, part of a, quite a lucky draw in the end, based on the results of you know, like Germany, etc. Um, but they made it there, nevertheless. And um, although you know football's not come home in, in the sense that you know England you know, haven't won the World Cup, I think that was a stretch to ever imagine that that, that they would win the World Cup. But um, should we should we should England fans be encouraged by the fact that perhaps the foundations are are there to be built upon? Um, and that perhaps one of the most important aspects of this whole tournament has been that, um, if anything, that belief has been sort of reinstilled amongst uh, England fans. I think it's kind of it's weird. Obviously, Liverpool fans in general have a, a funny relationship yeah, yeah. with England, don't they? But I think, in terms of the regular support, I think it's made the country kind of fall back in love with the England national team because, especially for the the Liverpool fans who do follow England. Roy Hodgson was just a vacuum ugh, ugh. of everything. It was pain. It was just painful watching it. Painful trying to think of him doing well. I mean, I think that's for me. That's kind of when I was just like, no, I, I can't be dealing with this anymore. I'm not. I'll still watch it because it's something to watch. But if they lose, I'll probably laugh more than I'll be upset. Let's be honest. Whereas <clears throat> what Gareth Southgate's done is he's, he's kind of. He has he, he did lower the expectations, but I think they were already quite low, let's be honest. And he just seemed more likable than anyone else we've had in, in a while. I mean, Capello, he wasn't likable, but he had the reputation. Steve McLaren, no dear. Um, Sven was... It's like your first James Bond, isn't it? Your first England manager, yeah. you probably look like look back a bit fondly, unless it's Roy Hodgson. Um, <clears throat> he was just to, humble, wasn't he? he was yeah. Just very humble in the, in the estimations of what this squad could do. It was a young squad. Um, and I thought, anyway, that that sort of humbleness translated mm. to the squad. The squad seemed to sort of abandon those tribal club ties that have sort of plagued England for a while. Would you agree on that, or I'm not sure? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think real. I think it was BT, like in mid, mid, midway through the season, he was talking about how the the England national team had camps of Man United players, Chelsea players, Liverpool players. It, it doesn't seem like that now. I mean, you see Trent um, hanging out with Lingard. Um, you see Henderson just about with everyone. I imagine he, he had some sort of relationship with Pickford, both being Mackens. Um, but it, it just seemed to be so more cohesive and I don't think we've ever had that as an England um, squad in my in my supporting lifetime which is just great um and you you could kind of, you could kind of tell I mean they seem to be more friendly with the media I mean there was that thing on Sky Sports where they were playing darts every every couple of days or something like that and it it just seemed to be a more friendly 
atmosphere than it ever has before. Um, I'm not sure if it's about egos. I mean, Harry Kane gets that label quite a lot, but I mean, you're not going to be able to compare the egos of Steven Gerrard, Wayne Rooney, Frank Lampard to Harry Kane. I mean, he's not he's not got much to be egotistical about. I know he scored thirty odd goals, but he's not really won much in he's not won anything uh, in his career. So there's no there's no egos in the squad, and Harry Kane's the biggest star, but he's not. He's not Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, is he? Let's be honest. So there's no there's no thought other than Raheem Sterling nonsense in the uh, in the uh, media, but that that's another topic altogether. There's no real scapegoat or person of focus to blame other than Sterling by a couple of rags in the in the the country. But on the whole, it seems to be a much more cohesive, friendly affair, and that, that that's quite it's it's nice to see. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm mean, also sort of, some of the coverage around those England players. I mean, you mentioned some of the communal things that that they did together. So, uh, like the darts game, for example, that there were photos of them sort of riding inflatable unicorns in a, in a hotel pool. <laughs> yeah, just, just just basic things like that. That I think Southgate, for all his limitations as a a a coach, maybe tactically, and I think. Towards the end, we did see those a, l- yeah. a little bit in terms of his in-game management and things like that. In terms of actually, um, perhaps fulfilling roles that weren't, you know, in the job description, should you say, in terms of like you, uniting that dressing room, as you mentioned yourself, guy, um, eliminating those sort of, um, uh, club ties that have been you know, problematic in the past. It's a young group of players who, you know, they were able to put that to a side and, uh, and unite for this tournament. I think I think that's been hugely beneficial because I think that in itself um, is a big factor in, in in winning over the public as a whole. Because you know we know Premier League football, being Liverpool fans as well, it's it's so tribal. It's it's, it's really difficult to sort of sometimes sometimes separate yourself from the fact that oh, I'm so happy that he's scored, but I also hate Lingard or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. And and this time around, it has seemed that a bunch of likable guys. They're aware of their own limitations they're trying to do what they can i think for me it was the whole getting over the fact that i mean i shouldn't mock pickford for having small arms because he's done very well <laughs> um yeah it's, it's it's something that i should perhaps get over a little bit um and yeah it, that does come sort of top down from southgate i remember also seeing an article about um i i forget her name it's, 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 it's a shame that i do forget that but whoever was brought in to um organize sort of the, the psychology of the group um, and talking about um, you know, reframing um, you know, perhaps failure in 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 the tournament as or it's you know England versus Croatia in a semi final of a World Cup. I shouldn't be afraid of it. I should be excited about the opportunity. J- just that very simple change in psychology around the England team, which I think has been impactful in terms of sort of the 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 positives. Then obviously England have gone out, and I think Croatia um, probably the first real quality side that they, that that Southgate side had faced. Um, but in terms of the the foundations that are there to build on, then where do you see this going? Then obviously we, we, we've got the names that you mentioned there: Kane, Sterling, perhaps uh, Ali. Lingard, you know, Maguire and Stones at the back, Pickford perhaps. Um, do you see it that the, the next three or four years are the most important then for for this England side as a building on what they've uh, what they've achieved here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got a manager now that the fans are seemingly behind. Whether anyone thinks he's got limitations and stuff, he obviously does have limitations. We saw that in the Would you keep game, him? As you said, Would you yeah, keep him yeah, yeah. I mean. Okay. Unless we were guaranteed to get, say, Eddie Howe 
who ah, okay, who yeah. could kind of continue the likable um likable England manager, but other than that, I mean, you're going to go back to Big Sam. <laughs> um, hey, hey, send it. God. I mean, God, yeah. at one stage during this tournament, guy, when, when we were the set-piece kings, <laughs> I, I, I did have an idea of just, sort of, obviously, we've all seen that video of Big Sam sort of crying in the Weatherspoons, but imagine oh, him in a Yates or some other establishment in London <laughs> crying into a sort of a diluted mojito as he watches England score from yet another set-piece must have been tough for. I, I told him that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he may have took us to the final. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, I mean, as a foundation, I mean, you've got Southgate, who's popular with the fans. I mean, it, limitations aside, but people are behind him. So it, it'd be disappointing if he was sacked now. And in terms of the squad, you, you mentioned a few there. Storms, Maguire, they seem quite set in defence. I mean, Kyle Walker. I, I can see why he plays there, but he's just he's not a natural defender. So maybe maybe he's there's fast. a future for yeah, that's <laughs> pretty much it. So maybe there's a future for Liverpool player Joe Gomez. He was obviously playing right sided centre back for England a little bit, so that might be a perfect system fit for him. I'm I'm not sure if any of the other England centre back coming through could could fit that kind of fast centre back role. But it'd be quite interesting to see who does that. Um, Kieran Trippier, Trent Alexander-Arnold as, as your wing-backs and if, if Walker moves out of centre-back maybe he can go there as well so right-back seems set for the next decade um, left-back's a bit more troublesome isn't it I mean, Ash, Ashley Young's in the tournament alone um, that, that's another worry Danny Rose not really captured his form from the last couple of years and mm. Luke Shaw was obviously the big hope there so maybe Ryan Sessegnon can fit wing back perfectly but he seems yeah. to be moving forward all the time i mentioned sort of abandoning tribal sort of um issues but i think i i'm, I'm struggling mm. i'm struggling with ashley young after this yeah <laughs> yeah that, that he's the one who pushes the buttons i mean dags does hate harry kane but he I does mean, he's Ash- not actually although it, actually it should be said that gags is a massive fan of um jordan pickford and his distribution massive fan <laughs> really should if anyone's listening to this uh do tweet gags and uh mm. And ask him, like Pickford um, says, yeah. How impressed were you by Jordan Pickford during that <laughs> tournament? Yeah, just. To... Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, defensively, it's probably weaker than going forward. I mean, I mentioned Sessing Young there. If he's he's kind of the starting point and biggest star, but if you if you look what what we had just at the tournament, we had Sterling, who I don't want to say world class yet, but his output last season and his performances at times were world-class for Man City. If he continues this under Pep Guardiola, I mean, he's going to become a world-class player. Harry Kane, he's obviously he's obviously mint. There's no denying that. He had a poor tournament. I know he scored six goals and looks like he's going to get golden boot, but his performances were pretty poor, so maybe there's, we need a system tweak to get Harry Kane more involved. But say if we, if we build around Ali and Ox as those advanced eights or tens, whatever you're going to call them, that that seems pretty good to me because Ox, for me, is more capable of helping in centre midfield than Lingard was. I mean, you saw, especially in the Croatia game, you saw Henderson basically just isolated to hell. Now, Henderson didn't have a good game, let's be fair, but he, he had such a hard job. He was dealing with Modric, Rakitic, and and he saw Deli Ali struggling with a fullback, so uh, wing back, uh, wingers. So he was probably trying to help there as well. So I think he had almost an impossible job. So 
if we can improve on Henderson in the short term and long term, we'll obviously have to. But Centenbridge seems to be the problem, doesn't it? I mean, there's not Eric Dyer's young, but good God, he's terrible. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I'd agree. But, yeah, yeah sure. I think Lewis Cook's coming through from Bournemouth, but other than that, there's not many. Ben Foden, maybe from uh, is it, is, it, is it from City? I think he, Phil he's... Foden. Phil Foden, sorry, Ben 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 Foden. Uh, <laughs> probably a rugby player actually, but um, no, no, yeah, <laughs> I think Phil Foden, yeah, for sure. I think I mean that that for me anyway, that there's talent there mm. in, in the youth ranks that perhaps haven't yet been given the chance, yeah, uh, for regular running either at Championship or even Premier League level. So it's very difficult to sort of imagine them stepping up currently but perhaps they mm. will over, over the next couple of years um i i would definitely agree i think i i thought midfield was the area where i was always worried that this, that this england team would come up short um you could only bypass midfield for so long really um you know, we've seen ourselves you know, liverpool uh, with the midfield that we have in those champions league encounters against roma um against porto um and, and to an extent against um Real Madrid in that final. When you are getting away with it, it works. Um, but it only really tends to work for about 40 to 50 minutes in those top mm. class encounters. And you have to take your chances during that period. It helps having Mo Salah as well. <laughs> it does help having Mo Salah. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no offense to Sterling and uh, Lingard yeah. and those guys. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, Kane, as you mentioned, there had a pretty poor tournament regardless yep. of his, uh, his efficiency. I think, you know, when it comes to penalties, um, you know, Fantastic, really, really good, and to have a reliable taker there sets an example. It's important, but the system didn't really seem to get the best out of him, uh, and perhaps that's going to be a focus. I think for the next couple of years, really as well, um, you, you should focus around um, also getting the best out of one of your best players, who is who is Harry Kane, perhaps Sterling as well. So yeah, I think that'll be interesting. But yeah, I, I largely agree with you, guy, in terms of that there are positive signs to come for England. I think people shouldn't view this tournament negatively. Um, mm-hmm. it should be viewed as a positive, even if you, if we're talking about semantics around, you know, belief and, um, you know, people's support for the England setup. That was for me, as well as yourself, you, you mentioned Hodgson there. Um, as Liverpool supporters, we've always had sort of a troubling relationship with England. And, and, and but to be honest, it, it was all, it was gone for me at, prior yeah. to the start of this tournament. And, um, I had, I had little faith in, in the setup, but, um, how so, many times did you listen to it's coming home? Yeah, I mean, I mean, by the end of the tournament, I was really, I was invested, wasn't I? <laughs> but by the end, <laughs> although I still, if it wasn't your ringtone, you're doing something wrong. I'll still maintain "World Emotions" a better song, but um, I'll, I'll put that out. <laughs> but I think Cy Brandish, in terms of how he's he's heavily uh, reiterated that the, the setup, at least from a, um, a yeah, physio, a sports science perspective. The, st- the infrastructure that's behind this team, it's got a much, much more informed um, Southgate for all we can say about his limitations. He's managed to get the psychological impact. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's united the team that way. So hopefully the talent does come through and Eng- England can build on this because, you know, let's face it, there were, you know, Harry Kane squares that to Sterling in that match against uh, Croatia. You tune it up. Croatia are rocking you're not far away from a World Cup final. So yeah. you do wonder whether they'll get this uh, sort of similar chance again. But um, to move on from Croatia versus England, and of course it would be very easy to talk about that a lot. Um, I was speaking to Jonathan earlier on about France, and they've had an interesting tournament, You know, starting slowly. Um, Deschamps, lots of questions around 
the the team he selected, the setup, you know, such such an array of talented players that you almost want them to be more exciting and attacking than they actually have proved to be. Um, but what are your expectations, guy? There for Croatia versus France. Interesting match up there. Croatia in new territory. France trying to win their second um, ever World Cup. Uh, plenty of talent in that squad for France. Uh, Croatia perhaps a little bit fatigued from the uh, the extra time exploits they've been through. Uh, what sort of game are you um, expecting there? Um, I think it'll be. I think like most cup finals, it's going to be a tight frustrating, I don't want to say boring, because sometimes they're intriguing, but sometimes they're just downright boring, let's be fair, but I think it'll be quite an intriguing game, because there's quite a lot of world-class talent on there, especially in France's team, and Croatia probably have the best midfield, or had the best midfield in the tournament. Um, I think France should dominate possession and stuff like that, I know they have Luka Modric and Rakitic and stuff like that, but I mean Kante, Pogba, Matudi if he's fit, uh, or Matuidi if he's fit um, they should have enough to dominate possession and you, you look at the, the quality they have in defence with passing the ball up front with counter attacking and, and holding up the ball with Giroud it, it just seems to be a more a more complete team whereas Croatia seem to be midfield and then hopefully Mandzukic does something up top I mean Perisic, Perisic was probably the, the best Attack and play for a Croatia against England. Great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe he can, maybe him versus Pavard, or uh, if he goes over the right against Hernandez, um, he may be able to do something. But them two young, well, one, one I think they're both centre backs by trade, but them two young full backs have, have done really well in the tournament since Mark Lawrence and labelled Pavard crap. <laughs> in the first game. I remember that, yeah, it was extensive <laughs> uh, criticism, yeah. Yeah, that, that worked out well, Laura. <laughs> um, but no, I think I think France would dominate the ball, whereas Croatia, they're gonna. I don't want to say lucky, but they're gonna have to hope the two centre backs have a good day and the full backs have a good day. I mean, that Visako, the, the, the right back who plays for Atletico Madrid, he was excellent against England as well. But he's 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 now against Mbappe, um, Griezmann, and Giroud. It's a whole kettle of fish compared Easy. to an out of form Kane and um, and Sterling, who well he. he doesn't score goals, but he was stretching play quite a lot. Whereas, if if Lovren had Lovren and Vida, sorry, not, I'm used to just labelling Lovren. I'm sorry, but Lovren and Vida first half. I know that I know they turned it round second half and then on extra time and stuff. But first half, Sterling and Cade were causing issues for for both the centre backs, and it, it seemed to be a bit of a mess. It, we've seen the damage Mbappe can do in a split second. I mean, did you see that back heel pass against Belgium? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was speaking to Jonathan about that in the earlier part of the pod. Just talking about. I was trying not to talk about Mbappe too much, really, because of course yeah. he's 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 clearly taken the headlines. But um, I think the scary thing about him is when you associate a young player of that sort of style and type. He means a fast mm-hmm. winger, or whatever, fast inside forward. Um, you know, the physical attributes are always there. The speed, the pace, the, which is scary and it's effective. But the, perhaps the decision making isn't there. Um, what you're seeing, well, I'll give him a seven out of ten overall in terms of like, you know, sometimes he does make the wrong decisions. But um, the it does seem to be there far more often than it's not. Yeah. And that that flick that you mentioned there, it didn't actually come off in the end. But 
the awareness and sort of the mm-hmm. the the decision to go i'm going to try this here it it really shows you both the confidence he's playing with but also um he he's wise beyond his years which is yeah. which is very scary for him um you forget he's 19, don't you, when you watch him play? 19 years old. It's, 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 it's very scary, yeah. It, it sounds scary. stupid when we're talking about the second most expensive player in the world, but you're like, he's 19, that's not fair. He's on loan, <laughs> he's on loan as well. <laughs> well. Not anymore, I think he is now actually a, 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 a PSG yeah, yeah, player, but um, yeah, very, very strange. I mean, where do you see Mbappe sort of ending up as a, as a sort of a, a type of player, just out of interest? Um... He he seems to be, he seems to prefer, at the minute prefer playing wide and then coming in the field. But I think it all depends on the system, doesn't it? Because he, he seems to have always played off of someone. So maybe maybe yeah. he's not really ready yet to play as this kind of lone striker. I think they tried it in the first game, didn't didn't they? him and Griezmann kind of swapping about they with, had uh, with as Dembele? Well, yeah, yeah. Didn't, yeah. So didn't ma- quite work, and it's quite interesting to. Jonathan Johnson, obviously the very, very, very obvious comparison. I'm not sure what you think, guy is uh, is Henri. Yeah. Um, but um, Jonathan, actually, um, from watching him for PSG all season and uh, and the front and the French squad, the player he said he actually reminds him of more than anybody. Um, it's quite a scary comparison, really. Is uh, Brazilian Ronaldo, you know, the Finno. I mean, anyone compared to Henri and and original Ronaldo, it's uh, he's going to be a good player. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think <clears throat> at the minute he's kind of that second, not second string, second second striker, shadow striker. Help if you would in an FM speak. He seems to like playing off a player. Um, he does it with Cavani at uh, PSG and Giroud at, at national team level. So he, he just seems to be that player who's. Just he loves having freedom, but at times you have seen him work his ass off going backwards as well. That's the scary thing. He's not he's not one of these players who's got an ego at nineteen and he's not he's refusing to work. He is filling in. He is helping his fullback at times, so it is scary. So at the minute, I kind of see him as a, a winger slash second second striker. So if he if he can develop into that Henri Ronaldo type and can play up front on his own, I mean. Good God, <laughs> um, it's not it's not going to be fair. But maybe maybe that will come with physicality and stuff rather than brains, which he seems to have all in abundance. Maybe he just needs to get a bit bit stronger or something like that. Yeah, of course, it's it's always so interesting to bear in mind that as well when you hear sort of the Wilfred Zaha linked with fifty six million pound moves. You just you, you, you just think, you just think about that and you just go. Yeah. Um, Mbappe was good value. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so it, it does sound from what you're saying there that you think perhaps France have the edge over Croatia yeah. based on just, just on, just on, on talent and the strength of the squad itself. Um, as you mentioned beforehand as well, Croatia had been through quite a lot in terms of the physical output they would have given through those extra time performances, even penalty performances, two penalties in a row, um, for that squad. Um, just then in terms of your sort of general, um, perceptions of, of this tournament then in, in your opinion just to get these two questions from you um, who would be your player of the tournament overall um, and also w- what would be your match of this tournament overall it, it's obviously been a tournament that's, that's received loads of praise from being probably more entertaining than than most um if i start with a match um I really enjoyed um, France v Argentina. I mean, I, most <laughs> yeah. people probably think of the Spain Portugal match, but I think 
Spain, uh, not Spain, uh, France, Argentina. It just had it, just the worldies in it. It was astonishing, <laughs> um, and and you really saw Mbappe. I don't want to say announced. I mean, I, I think I said this on a previous pod. Um, because uh, second most expensive player announcing himself on a certain stage sounds stupid, but he kind of just became a became a next level of superstar. Like now, you can think of him in a similar bracket to like Neymar, for example, or something like that. Um, so I'll go with that one. Uh, and, and Pavard's goal, I need to mention that because, good God, that was fantastic. <laughs> that was filth. That was pure filth. Um, but w- player of the tournament, um, I'll go. I'll, I'll say my top three. Um, I got Modric, Mbappe, and Varane. And I, I really like. I, I really want to say Mbappe because we've we, we waxed lyrical about him on this pod. But I think Varane's been bloody excellent in this, in in this tournament. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the nod because yeah. I mean um, Umtiti's had a. Umtiti's obviously a mint centre-back, but he's had a couple of moments of madness, and Varane seems to have continued his club form where he's kind of keeping Sergio Ramos in check. He seems to be doing it less so on the national team because he doesn't need to do it as much, but he just seems to be adding so, a level of calmness and coolness to the to the national team. It's just he's, He seems to have finally reached his potential that was so much that was famed so so long ago. He's been he's been excellent for me. Yeah, Jonathan mentioned him especially, but he also actually mentioned um, the performances of Hugo Lloris. Uh, I just want to mention, mm. I want to ask you what you thought of him, because obviously Lloris went through a difficult season in the Premier League, um, perhaps one of his most unsteady ones since he arrived here, to be honest, um, you know, making some uncharacteristic errors on a regular basis, um, actually, and it became a bit of an issue uh, in qualifiers as well. Um, but Jonathan actually says that his form in this tournament and the way he stood up has actually been probably more influential than we perhaps think, what have you made? What have you made of Lloris in this tournament? He he's been he's probably been the goalkeeper of the tournament for me. I think it's been between him and Courtois, um, but yeah, obviously Courtois Lloris, great, yeah, yeah Lloris in that in that semi final he had that 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 save that save in particular. I can't remember who headed it, but it it was uh, phenomenal. And yeah, you are right. You are right. His, his Spurs form's been on the decline for probably like 18 months or so now. So to see him bounce back like this, it, it really is impressive. I think he is, he is France's captain as well. So I think he's really stepped up on the, on the, uh, on the uh, national, uh, for the national side, but he does, if he does seem to have a big bottle moment in him and there's no bigger stage than the World Cup final. <laughs> so hopefully we're not jinxing him here, but he has been excellent this tournament and, Barring a nightmare in the final, I think it's it's fair to say he's been the goalkeeper of the tournament. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that as well. I think obviously Subasic has probably been sort of the, the penalty mm. uh, sort of um, time uh, goalkeeper of the tournament, but um, I'm not sure I can go as far as player of the tournament myself. But I think match of the tournament for me, it's sort of a weird one actually because um, there was very little riding on it from uh, from one side. But um, for me. The one that really sticks in my head, it's, it's kind of strange that it does, um, is South Korea versus Germany. Just just because <laughs> it was such a weird, um, I, I, in my lifetime, I'd never seen Germany fail in that sort of um, manner, it, it, if you'd like. It, it wasn't sort of a, a despair at the end. It was a bewilderment that that, that, that had even happened to them. Um, and also, on, on the other hand, you had South Korea who knew they were going out regardless of the result 
Um, and I'm not sure if anybody's seen that South Korean commentary who's listening to this, but I would, I would encourage you encourage you to, to check that out really because the, the South Korean commentary of Hummin Sun's second goal when Neuer decides to play defensive midfield uh, and doesn't do it very well um, <laughs> is absolutely incredible it's it, it's 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 uh, plenty of people were talking after that game about how look it's not about South Korea the story is not about South Korea it's about Germany and their failure and I can see that obviously Germany's success in these tournaments it makes sense but if you think about it from South Korea's perspective, from an Asian football perspective as well, that is one of the biggest results um, that you will have ever seen, really, for them. Um, and so I think that, and also the fact that they have an incredible training kit as well, um, probably makes me <laughs> sort of 100% favor South Korea in terms of that in terms of that game, perhaps. But um, Guy, thanks ever so much for sort of helping me sort of preview these sort of uh, how England have done throughout this tournament better than we all expected, and also your thoughts on the tournament as a whole. Just before we do go, though, I just want to ask you, uh, put you on the spot as well as I did with Jonathan um, for the final. Then, um, uh, what do you expect from Croatia versus France? If you don't want to give me a scoreline, you can just tell me how you think the match is going to go instead. Um, can I think Croatia may do? Four, is it four extra times in a row? <laughs> <laughs> wow, you, um, super! In, in another penalty shootout, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think it'll go extra time because it, it just seems like that tournament, doesn't it? Um, but I do think France will win, and I'll go. I'll go two one for France. Two one for France. I, I, I can't press you on goal scores or anything like that. Um. Giroud first, first yeah, of the tournament. Giroud's first shot on target in like the 115th <laughs> minute or something. That would be great. That would, that would be absolutely great. Yeah, we, we, we had a little chat about Giroud yeah. earlier on about how perhaps he's 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 fulfilled a, a different role this tournament where he's, he's enabled other people whilst it, it being hilarious that mm-hmm. he's not had a shot on target and he's a number nine and he's in the, he's in the final of the World Cup finals. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, thanks so much, Guy, for sort of helping help me preview that. Um, to all those who are listening, we'll probably be back one more time on these World Cup podcasts on Anfield Index after the final, just talking about our, our feelings as a whole of the World Cup, see how England do in that sort of third place um, non-event, but sort of an event match um, on Saturday. And of course, then the World Cup final, um, seeing whether Croatia can do the unthinkable, whether Dejan Lovren will return to Anfield as a World Cup you know, final champion, um, or whether um, it's going to be a case of Nabil Fakir perhaps arriving in uh, arriving at Anfield um, uh, with the same status. So uh, I want to thank you all for listening. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a really enjoyable sort of series of World Cup podcasts, and there'll be one more from us before we uh, wrap things up and then look ahead to Liverpool season um, and and the preseason campaign in the US. So thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll be back shortly. Network.